Please listen to God's word as I read from 1 Samuel 25. I'll begin in verse 32 and reads to the end of the chapter. This is part of a larger story. I hope you remember that it is the story of Nabal's foolishness. He turned away David's appeal for provisions and not only turned it away, but he, uh, he slandered David. And Abigail comes to David after he had plotted to harm or to kill Nabal. <laughs> and uh, Abigail came and, uh, and um, appealed to him and turned that wrath away. Starting in verse 32 then. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. In the space of two chapters here in 1 Samuel, this principle is vividly demonstrated. In chapter 24, David had restrained his hand against King Saul. He would not take vengeance upon his enemy. He prayed that the Lord, though, would judge between Saul and David. He prayed that God would see and hear and that he would act justly. 
he lets that vengeance stay in God's hands. But then it seems immediately after that, in chapter 25, we have David overcome by wrath at Nabal's offense against him, against him. And he takes vengeance into his own hands. He plots to go and murder Nabal and all of Nabal's men. He was going to wipe them from the face of the earth. So angry he was. So, where was vengeance in this second chapter? In the second chapter, David was taking it to himself. But in God's mercy, God sent Abigail to stop him. She confronted him with two sins. First, his action would be to shed uh, innocent blood without cause. Speaking of that angry response that was was out of proportion to the sin against him. And then secondly, if he followed through with his plan, he would have avenged himself. Those are Abigail's words, and those are David's words as well. And it is this aspect of vengeance that the text highlights today. And so today, as we look at Nabal and what God's judgment was, we will learn, we'll see it, this acted out, the principle that vengeance belongs to the Lord. That will lead us then to not presume to take the place of God, but instead to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Let's begin with that proposition. Begin with the, the biblical truth that is being taught here, that vengeance belongs to the Lord. This comes from the biblical text of Deuteronomy 32. I read it as our call to worship. I want to read it again so that you would hear it. This is what Abigail would have had in mind as she comes to David and she applies this biblical truth to David. Is this not laid, in, uh, laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? Vengeance is mine and recompense their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them, for the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and that there is no one remaining bond or free. I want to just explain this a little bit so you can see the application to David. These words in Deuteronomy come from Moses, part of what is called his song. At the end of his ministry and close to the end of his life, Moses looks back to the responsibility that God had given to him to be a leader and a mediator for his people Israel. Now, that was not an easy task, was it? Moses faced all sorts of opposition. You would think that the man that God had called to lead his people, it would be smooth sailing, right? Well, it wasn't. Just think about some of the opposition that Moses faced. Even as he was leading them out, after seeing all of the plagues that God had rained upon, the, uh, upon Egypt, the people of Israel began to complain. 
we are caught between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. They're going to slaughter us. They were already complaining to Moses about their leadership. They complained about the directions that they would go, the places that they would camp, the provisions that they didn't have. Some of them thought they would, should even go back to Egypt. They had things better there forgetting already that they were slaves. And Moses faced outright rebellion and mutiny against his leadership, even to the point where it describes the entire camp of Israel rising up against Moses and Aaron, trying to throw off their leadership and likely to kill them. This was the job God gave Moses to do. Here, near the end of his life, Moses reflects back on that opposition. He meditates on it in this song. And he voices, he voices his feelings about those troubles, but here's the conclusion he came to, that God was with him in the midst of those trials. Yes, the children of Israel were a stiff-necked people, those are not my words. Those are Moses' words. The people of God were a stiff-necked people. They're like a donkey that doesn't want to go where you direct it to go. They did rebel many times. But what Moses meditates on in the midst of those trials is that he had come to know that God was there with him. And that God knows all of these things. He's the one that sees even the hidden thoughts and intentions of man's hearts, says Psalm 139. He knows the offenses that are brought against God's people. And so Moses speaks about this. He speaks for God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is what God says. Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? What is it that was laid up? If you look at the previous verses, you'll find out that Moses is talking about all of the agonizing troubles that he had been through. And isn't that surprising? And isn't it profoundly comforting that God knows in the midst of our trials, it is very easy to come to think that God has forgotten us. Or as, uh, as Alan said in his, in his lesson this morning, that, that God is, is this tyrant who is toying with us like a cat playing with a mouse. But what Moses came to recognize is that God is with us, and as God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I want you to make, make sure that you understand that, that vengeance belongs to him, not you. Vengeance belongs to God. And as Moses goes on to state, the Lord will judge his people. The Lord will have compassion on his servants. 
when they are at their end, God knows and the Lord will show compassion. And over and over again in the leadership of God's people, Moses was learning this. God was teaching him what I'd like to help you see is a Christ-like love. For as Moses learned this, he came to, uh, to understand what the Lord was promising and a redeemer that would come. So Moses could not only bear with the affront of the opposition he faced, he could not only bear with that, but he came to pray for God's people, to pray for those who were opposing him, to pray for his enemies in the midst of his trials because he knew that God sees all these things and that he would repay in time. Deuteronomy describes that when the children of Israel sinned, that Moses stood in the gap and prayed for them, even praying that the judgment of God would fall on him rather than the children of Israel. In this way, I hope you can see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for Jesus did just that. Moses's offer was substitution and, and sacrificial, but his death could not have paid for the sins of God's people. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us on the cross. And in suffering on the cross, he took the wrath of God, the vengeance of God, that is deserved by all of us. This is what Abigail brought to David. This is what Abigail came and, and humbly but boldly confronted him with. David, you need to hear this. Vengeance belongs to God. And we need to hear this too. We learn that when sinned against, we are not to take vengeance into our own hands, but leave it in God's hands. As we'll see in a little bit, this cools anger. It comforts the anxiety that we go through because we know that there is someone who understands what we're going through. The fact that God knows all things is, is very comforting. And the fact that he knows the sins that are done against us means that we can leave it in God's hands. And for David, this led him to turn aside from the vengeance that he had sworn. And that's where we'll turn next is to see the effect of this fundamental teaching on David, it leads David to repent of his sin. And I say repentance because Abigail's words did exactly that. They convicted him of sin. 
he had been sinned against, but then David's response was sinful as well. Last week I highlighted his anger about how it was disproportionate, and, and he refers to that. I would have shed innocent blood if you had not come. I surely would have wiped out Nabal and all of the men that were working for him. But he doesn't stop there. David also says that he has sinned against God by avenging himself. And here's that theme coming through again, that vengeance belongs to the Lord and that David recognized his own sinfulness for taking that into his own hands. You could say that David was robbing God of something that belonged to him. That he was sinning against God's command. The Lord had said, do not take vengeance. And he was sinning against God's character. Because David didn't trust God to take care of it. He assumed to himself the authority that belongs to God. He took to himself to be judge, jury, and executioner. The very thing that he said he would leave in God's hands when it came to King Saul. And here David even invokes God's name in a curse against Nabal. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all that belonged to him by morning light. David was on a terrible path a sinful path. But God did use Abigail and her counsel to stop David. And he gloriously repented, as I mentioned last week. And I love the the genuine, wholehearted words that David uses here. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, I would have surely acted on my evil intent. I would have killed Nabal and all of them. I would have avenged myself. David uses those words specifically. I would have avenged myself on Nabal. The whole interaction reveals Abigail's faith, like we saw last week, and it, it reveals it reveals David's faith as well. You know, it's not an easy thing for uh, for a leader to admit when he is wrong. For that matter, it's not easy for any of, any of us to admit when we are wrong, right? Uh, can you think of the last time someone came and said to you? You've sinned against me. What was your reaction? Did you brush it off? Did you laugh? Did you get defensive? Did you get angry? It's not easy when this happens. But here, David accepts the rebuke. Not only accepts it, but he praises God for it. He honors the Lord and he honors the messenger. He honors Abigail who came and brought this to him. And his repentance is a mark of his faith. It's a mark 
that he is recognized as a man after God's own heart. And I like the way that John Murray describes this, uh, uh, this concept of vengeance as taking things into your own hands. He says that the essence of an ungodliness is that we presume to take the place of God, to take everything into our own hands. It is faith, on the other hand, to commit ourselves to God, to cast all our care on him, and to rest all our interests in him. I hope you see that battle against unbelief that is part of our lives, that is evidenced by, uh, by this outburst of violent anger that David had against Nabal but also then in his repentance. He came to understand and to be, to be disciplined by Abigail's words, which are God's words, that vengeance belongs to God. Now, the blessing of this passage is that we see it worked out, and we see it worked out immediately, which in your outline is the third point. God's vengeance enacted. We don't often see it so clearly demonstrated, do we? But in this text, it is laid out in its full. Listen to what happened to Nabal. Abigail went home to find her husband stinking drunk. He threw a feast. It was a time of feasting. They completed the shearing. That's, that's natural. But remember that, that Abigail and Nabal's own servants have, have described him as a scoundrel. It's pointed out to, in our discussion in the afternoon that, that, that the word scoundrel is literally the son of Belial, the son of the devil, a worthless individual given over to their own perverse desires. And you see that here as Nabal feasts in an inordinate way. There was a feast that's fitting of a king, and he gets drunk in the midst of that. Abigail had surely seen this before. So she wisely didn't tell Nabal at this point what had happened. She waits until she's, he's sober. And in the morning she goes and she tells him. And the text says that when Nabal heard this, his heart died within him and he became like a stone. He fell over like a dead man. And he remained there for 10 days, and after 10 days, this is what the Bible says, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Now, physically speaking, Nabal had something like a heart attack or a stroke. We might speculate where this came from. Did Nabal realize how close he had come to death, but David had turned away? Or maybe it was that when Abigail told him about the vengeance that was coming, 
that he realized it wasn't David he should be afraid of, but he should be afraid of God. And that God had a reason to pursue vengeance against him. Well, we're not told that. What we are told is that God judged Nabal. That this wasn't some natural occurrence of a heart attack or a stroke. Natural in, in just thinking of it as a human occurrence. It plainly says that the Lord struck Nabal so that he died. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And David provides further explanation of this. The Bible is helpful this way when, uh, when an event happens, when a prophet of God speaks and explains it. David says, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil, that's speaking of, of himself, for the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. God had acted to protect his anointed king. God had acted and brought about this judgment. And I want you to see not only this immediate answer of God to bring vengeance on Nabal, but I also want you to see that the, the scope of the story of the Bible that's represented here. For the Lord took interest in his anointed king, and he defended David. He took up that reproach that Nabal had had smeared David with. I called attention to the fact that it was slanderous, but now the text calls attention to the fact that this is indeed God's anointed. And in this way, we have once more another prefiguring of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the Lord has sent his son Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords. And those that cast reproach upon him will suffer the vengeance of God forever and ever. This is a passage that prompts you to hear the just anger of God against all those who rebel against him against all those who reject Jesus Christ, for it is an affront to a holy God for you to reject his son. You need to hear the warning, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's a call to repent and to turn to Jesus, to repent of turning away from him, of rejecting him, of ignoring him. And if you are not a believer in Christ today, hear that warning of Christ. Hear that warning of God that runs throughout all of scripture. You need to 
believe in Jesus and repent of your sins. But in this passage, let me also call attention to the way in which David was taught and where, where David applied this teaching to his own life to confront his sin of taking vengeance himself. He took what belonged to God. He took what belonged to God by avenging himself on Nabal. But he was learning that that belongs to God. And he repented of it. He turned away. And in the beauty of this text, we see immediately an answer to that prayer. God struck Nabal for his offense. David speaks about this in Psalm 37. We're not exactly sure when he wrote this, but it fits this passage very well, does it not? In Psalm 37, verses 8 through 11, David says this, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, and it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. We don't often see this worked out in this life. And at least we don't often see it happening so immediately. But this story makes it plain that the judgment of the Lord will eventually fall and it will stand against all unrighteousness. Follow that thread of David as God's anointed king to Jesus Christ and apply it if you are are opposed to Jesus and know that warning. But then let the path, uh, uh, the truth of this passage give light and guidance to your life. Do you find yourself taking vengeance against others? Well, phrased that way, you might say, horrors, no, I would never do that. I would never plot to kill someone who has offended me, let alone all of his household. But in word and in deed, we can plot vengeance in our hearts. And we can enact it very easily with our words. Our anger can become disproportionate to the sin against us. And like David, we can commit murder in our hearts. We can seek to get even with those who have offended us. We can doubt the Lord's goodness, the Lord's ability to know what is happening, the Lord's ability to do something about it and conclude that I have to take matters into my own hands. Well, here again, words of Moses. Vengeance 
is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He sees. He knows all things. And while you may not understand the difficulty that you are going through, while you, not, may, while you might not understand, uh, and it seems as if those that sin against you are getting away with it, God is with you, and he will never forsake you. And let this truth turn you away from the temptation to presume to take the place of God. Instead, humble yourself in his eyes. Leave your fear and your anger and your vengeance in his hands. Understand and listen to the counselors that God has brought around you and find peace in his hands. Is this easy? Well, no. There are a lot of stiff-necked people around us, aren't there? There are a lot of sinners that we deal with. And within the congregation, there will be those that offend you, whether sinfully or mistakenly. And most often when that happens, in my own experience, I am so consumed with my anxiety and overcome by anger that I can't see past that trial. This is where this text is so helpful because it reveals the truth that is taught. It reveals that vengeance does indeed belong to God, that he will repay. Therefore, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Trust him to understand, to know, and to be the judge of all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would stop us from taking matters into our own hands. Forgive us for taking vengeance upon others who have offended us. Forgive us for taking what belongs to you. God, I pray that you would be teaching us that even through the trials that we are suffering today. And I pray that we would be able to rest in your hands and, uh, and to look back as Moses did to know that you treasure all of those things up, that you understand and that you hear and see all of those things, and that you will show compassion to us. And I pray, O oh Lord, today that if there are those who have offended Christ as the anointed king, that you would use this message to take away any semblance of, of, uh, of self-righteousness or any semblance of trusting in themselves. And I pray that they would humble themselves before you in repentance and faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing those words of Psalm 37a. I read these words that are so fitting of Nabal, who had done wickedly against David and against God, and who is no more. For God 
at Exercise Vengeance. Let's stand and sing Psalm 37a.